Hey guys, welcome back to Mickey Mike's Up. I'm Mickey, and I'm really glad you're here for this Olympic special. Obviously, I will continue to mention Olympic highlights in the next few weeks, but this episode is all things opening ceremony, the fighting for, swimming, and crazy wins in other categories. There's so much to talk about and no time to waste, so let's get into the fourth episode of Mickey Mike's Up. I hope you enjoy and listen to the end for a special surprise. There's no better way to open up this podcast than talking about the opening ceremony of the Olympics. Like always, the opening ceremony for the Olympics kicked off in a grand way and was full of history, tributes, and lots of fireworks because obviously you need those for a celebration. The ceremony opened with a video featuring geometric shapes drawn on a blackboard and chalk, which gradually turned into the Olympic Stadium. It was really cool. If you haven't had a chance to watch it, make sure to find a video on YouTube or something because just like the detail behind it, the thought behind it, it was all super amazing. The chalk art in the first half is a stop-motion animation which took 10 days to film and involved repeatedly drawing and erasing 400 images of solid objects on a single blackboard. So like just the time and thought and energy that went into this opening was absolutely amazing and so intricate and it really shows how much effort Tokyo has been putting in to make this Olympics special even if there's no fans and even if things are very different. Um, Following that, there was a countdown from 2013 to now. 2013 was when Tokyo won the bid to host the Games, and so it really showed the progress in what has happened and how they've built up their Games to where we are now in 2021. Even though branding still is Tokyo 2020, they have been, you know, changing things and updating things over the last year to make it safer, and there's a lot of cool protocols in place um, that make it a bit more bearable even when family and friends can't be there. After that, there was a performance where dancers were dressed as carpenters and were woodworking on tables throughout the arena. Five large rings were carried into the stadium with paper lanterns to help light it up, and when they put together, they formed the Olympic rings, which is super cool and super symbolic of like why they're even there. The coolest part of it all, though, was that the wooden rings were made from trees that were planted by athletes at the 1964 Tokyo Games, so it was really a full-circle moment, like... When those athletes were there in 1964, they were all given seeds and they were told to plant trees and they did. And now those trees are being used to bring in this new Olympics. And so I think that that's such a cool fact and a really cool moment to just like be a part of. So the athletes entered the stadium after that to songs from famous Japanese video games And it was organized alphabetically with the host nation's alphabet. So a lot of people were kind of confused about the order, but it was done for the Japanese alphabet, not like the United States alphabet. Um, So Greece kicked it off and from there continued on. Each nation had to have flag bearers, which they do every year, but this year, unlike the past, they had two from each country. And so one was a woman and one was a male, but they still only had one flag. So it was kind of interesting to see how each country handled that because some took turns, some, you know, okay, you carry it and we'll both hold it, or, you know, you had one country who kind of looked like they were fighting, like toddlers over the flag, and so it was very interesting to see how each country went about it. The United States went third to last in the lineup of walking out, and Sue Bird and Eddie Alvarez were the flag bearers, which that is such a high honor to be like, hey, you know what, we're at the Olympics, and we want you to carry our flag when we walk out, so Sue Bird actually found out during a practice, her teammate Diana Taurasi told her, And they were all super excited for her. And it's a really cool moment and opportunity for everyone there to even be part of the ceremony, but extra special for those who were carrying the flag. 
not all the athletes um, who are at the Olympics for their countries were able to attend the opening ceremony. Like USA Gymnastics and the US Women's Soccer Team watched it from their hotels because they had games the next day or training and, you know, they wanted to make sure that they had rest. So they did watch it from TVs at their hotel. Um, the US Women's National Team gathered in one of their, their um, meeting rooms and they cheered on Sue Bird, who is Megan Rapinoe's fiance. And obviously they watched the whole thing, the rest of the athletes, but there were a lot of videos of that moment and they kind of had their own opening ceremony party, getting dressed up in the outfit and um, taking pictures and like walking down the hallway like it was a runway. So it was really cool to see how people who weren't at the ceremony took advantage of the fact that they were even at the Olympics and really embraced their own sort of ceremony while they were there. There were also a lot of athletes who missed it due to COVID protocols because as opposed to the uh, past Olympics where they could come at the start of the Olympics and be there till the end of the Olympics, they can't arrive until five days before their competitions start. So many of them haven't even arrived yet. Like soccer is halfway through its tournament and baseball hasn't even started. So some of those baseball players still might not even be there. And so because of that, a lot of people were missing and a lot of countries did look a lot smaller. But nonetheless, we still had a lot of people who were at the opening ceremony and a lot of really cool outfits. So we're gonna take a quick dive to what they were wearing and like who my personal favorite country's outfits were. I hope that sentence made sense. And so we're just going to talk about that real quick. So the United States always disappoints in this category and I hate to admit it because there is so much potential with what we could do and what we could wear but we constantly wear the same navy blazer type outfit and so they were wearing Ralph Lauren jeans, a polo, a blazer, and then American flag bandana. Some had it tied around their neck, some had it as a handkerchief. Um, some people made it work, I guess, but it was really just boring and we need to do a lot better USA. Ralph Lauren, get it together because this is not working anymore. Um, Italy was also a big miss. They wore a white tracksuit and on the jacket it had like a circle and the circle was kind of split into like thirds. So there was like one half and then a V in the middle and then another half. And the circle was like the color of the flags, but it kind of just looked like a botched piece pizza. And like the way it was cut also kind of looked like it could be Pac-Man. And so it did not do them justice at all. Uh, I think they could have done much better. But we're going to go into the good ones now because that is much more fun. So Greece looked really clean and sophisticated. The men wore navy suits and the women wore these white tops and like pleated skirts. And the pleated skirts had like the colors of the flag on it. And for the opening nation, it was a really good starting outfit. And I think that it was really sophisticated and clean and really pretty. Uh, Brazil wore button downs and they danced into the stadium. And it was so much fun. I think that the tropical button down was such a solid look. Um, and it looked comfortable too. Paraguay looked like they were going to a circus. They had pinstripe shirts that were red, white, and then they had blue detailing on like the caps of the sleeves. And then they had like hats with a blue stripe on it. And so they kind of did look like they were about to like lead off a circus, but they made it work. Uganda was absolutely amazing. When I tell you that they did not disappoint, their outfits were intricate, colorful. Uh, they wore, the women wore dresses and men had black pants and like these colorful tops. Their outfits were red, yellow, and orange to represent their flag. And I feel like the detail on it, like from the picture I saw, 
I don't even think I saw all the detail because it seemed like there was so much thought and effort put into it that it really represented their culture and who they are. And the Netherlands were next um, in my list, not next in like walking out. But the Netherlands was very simple. Some people kind of thought it was boring, but I was obsessed with it because it's something that I would actually wear. They wore a burnt orange top. Um, I think some of I think some people wore a burnt orange jumpsuit, but some wore a top with like a pinstripe blazer and pants, and then others just wore uh, the belt that was a burnt orange color. And I again I think it was a jumpsuit, but it might have been a top and a pant pants, but it worked. I love the color. It looked great. And I, I want it. Like, I need to find out where I can buy it because it was so cool. Um, Angola made the opening ceremony their runway. Like, honestly, they were strutting. Uh, they wore black dresses with red and yellow detail, and it was really beautiful. And then Mexico wore blazers. So they kind of kept it simple. They wore blazers. And I think the girls had shorts and guys had pants. But, uh... The blazers had detailed hand embroidery on the jackets, and it was so beautiful. Like, you have to, like, zoom in to kind of see it, but it really, like, had so much thought and effort put into it because, I mean, someone did that all by hand. So it's really beautiful. And obviously, like, there's a lot of other countries who had amazing outfits, but those were some of the ones that stood out to me. I'm sure that you can find the rest online. There's probably, like, a People article or something that has, like, all of the outfits. But those were my personal favorites, so we're going to keep going into the next part of the opening ceremony because this event is so long. After all the athletes walked out, they got comfortable to watch the ceremony, and there were some photos of like athletes laying down, some took a nap, and I find that really funny because I could never fall asleep with that much noise. Like My first concert experience, um, I, like, I was tired, but I was still going, and then the next concert I went to... My little sister, it was her first concert, and when I tell you, she fell asleep after the opening act because she thought it was the main act, and we woke her up, and we were like, hey, Sam, Keith Urban is on, and she goes, I thought the other guy was Keith Urban, and we were like, no, and she was like, okay, and she literally took a nap at a concert, blaring noise, and so it's kind of funny how some people can do that. I could never, but there were some photos of athletes who looked like they were taking naps, um, there was a drone show that showed the Tokyo 2020 logo and then a globe following that. A few artists globally performed a pre-recorded video of Imagine, which I feel like is a really easy go-to song for big worldwide events. They've sung it at other Olympics and they will probably sing it at future ones. The Olympic president, Thomas Bach, then addressed the crowd and he was basically just saying how it was different than they wanted, but they were persevering and the games were really a unified front for the whole world and all the athletes there. There was another performance where performers in bodysuits acted out the 50 different sports that are represented at the games. And I think that they called it like pictograph, um, but it was really cool to see how they made that happen. To wrap things up, the final lap of the Olympic torch made its way around to different Japanese stars and first responders that were in the stadium. So it went to a baseball great, Hideki Matsui, and he carried it with a few others, and then it was passed to a doctor and a nurse, and then it was passed to another athlete and, and a group of students, and they went up and they passed it to Naomi Osaka, and she climbed the stairs and lit the cauldron, and with that, the Olympic Games were officially kicked off. 
Now, before we get into this, I have to preface that I have never done gymnastics. I can barely do a cartwheel, so technical terms are not my friend here. Um, I will try my best to use terms and make them sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I might just call, you know, a vault a flippy thing in the air, and we're going to just have to deal with it. But with that being said, we're going to get into talking about gymnastics and the team final, the all-around, individual competitions, and what that all means. So during the team final the other day, Simone Biles, who we all know, we all love, the GOAT, literally has the weight of the world on her shoulder and is always expected to be on and always expected to be doing amazing, pulled out of the competition. Now, a lot of people were a bit confused. They were like, what happened? Because she did vault and then she kind of rushed off. And so basically she got this thing called the twisties and it is really, really dangerous. When you're up in the air, you kind of like lose track of your direction, your spatial awareness, and it can be super dangerous because if she had landed the wrong way, she could have blown out a knee. She could have landed on her head because if you watch it back, she literally changed what she was doing midair and she got, she under rotated because she got lost and it's kind of confusing but it really does put up a severe mental block and so many gymnasts came forward saying that if they had done what Simone did they would have landed on their head or like their career would have been over because they would have gotten it hurt seriously and so the fact that she landed safely and then took the proper steps to protect herself after that is amazing and makes her such an incredible role model. This really falls on Tom Forrester, though, who is the head coach of the team, because he consistently said that as long as they had Simone, everybody else would be fine. He put all this added pressure on her when they were already expected to win gold. Obviously, you always want to come out with the best result, and obviously they're going in with the hope that they win gold, but there was a documentary being done on Peacock following some of the gymnasts, and their coaches were like, well, yeah, they're going to win gold media oh yeah they're definitely going to win gold they have Simone Biles they're going to win gold and so I feel like all this pressure to win gold was you know weighing on them as it should because it's a lot to take in and so many people rushed online to support Simone and her efforts to protect her mental health but of course there were the people who will never be satisfied and claim she was a quitter and a bad role model but I personally think that this makes her an even better role model because she's young showing young kids that you can focus on your health. You can put yourself as a priority, especially in a sport where young girls are exploited so often and, you know, we're told to work through injuries and broken bones and all this stuff. Like, it just shows how gymnastics is not a super safe place for young kids or it wasn't and it's getting better. But there's so many things that go wrong and so the fact that someone like Simone with the big platform she has on one of the biggest stages in the world was able to do something like this makes her a better role model and shows people that their health is more important than winning a medal. And also, it's a team competition. She knew that her teammates, Grace McCallum, Jordan Childs, and Suni Lee could handle it. When she came back, so she went off the sidelines for a little bit. They finished competing. She came back out. She put her warm-ups on. She pulled them in and she gave them a pep talk. She was like, I believe in you. You guys got this. Like, you can do it. And then she stood on the sidelines the entire next rotations and she cheered for them. 
and she gave them pointers and she was not, you know, she was not a quitter. She didn't leave. She stayed there the whole time. She just knew that if she competed, it would have brought down the overall team score and it wouldn't have been her performance that everybody was expecting from her. So Grace competed solidly. She did what she needed to do and she looked effortless doing most of it. And she was someone that a lot of people questioned her being on the lineup for the Olympics. They were very confused. Some people wanted to see Michaela Skinner on the full team. There were a lot of people who were kind of doubting Grace, and she really proved them wrong because she gave in solid scores to help this team. And then you had Jordan Childs, who was only expected to compete on two events that day, and she had to step up having not practiced the other ones. And so she did fall on her floor routine, I think, but considering the circumstances, like, she did amazing, and she did what she needed to do. And then Suni Lee is incredible on bars, and everything else she does and they all work together to clinch the silver and to anyone out there who was saying that they did that they didn't win that they lost they didn't lose gold they won silver and even getting to be at the olympics and win a silver medal for the team competition is an honor and they were all so happy that they even made it that far and they worked their ass off to get there and i'm really proud to have watched that team so Simone also qualified for the in five individual competitions, the all-around, and then vault, beam, floor, and bars. And as of right now, she did not compete in the all-around, and she pulled out of vault and bars. Floor and beam, she will most likely not compete in as well, but, you know, they're still up in the air right now. Kayla Skinner was originally supposed to leave, but now she is still there because she has to fill in in the vault competition tomorrow and we will see what happens there in roc which is the russian olympic committee they won gold and their rotations were amazing they did have a few falls on beam and we thought that we would well i thought that we might be able to sneak past but then we had the fall on floor and it kind of balanced out and they were able to win but they had an incredible qualifying and team event final and a lot of those girls really deserved it so it was really exciting to see and they all one thing I love about the gymnastics community is that they all support each other. But now we're going to talk about Suni Lee, my queen. I love her so much. Suni has su had such an incredible journey full of perseverance and dedication. She individually qualified for the all-around bars and beam. So Suni competed in the individual all-around representing the United States along with Jade Carey. Both had an incredible night. I think that Jade came in eighth overall um, at the end of the night. And so after the first rotation, which was vault, Jade was in second, but on her bar, she missed an element. And then on her beam, she had a fall on some wobbles and that kind of set her back, but she really had such an incredible night and the competition was so tight. Everyone was separated by like tenths. So the fact that she placed that high, she really deserved that. Um, and it was really exciting to see because she wasn't expecting to compete in the all around. She filled in for Simone and so, having had, you know, a few hours to turn around and prepare for the all-around competition, she did amazing. Um, Suni Lee was the first to compete in the event, um, which was the vault, uh, during their first rotation, and she had a nearless, nearly flawless Yuchenko double twist. That's what it's called, I think. And she earned a 14.6, and then Jade had the second highest vault score um, in qualifying, which was a few days before, and then 
at the individual final. She got a 15.2 for her Chang, which was really great. And it kicked off their night super well. They had good scores to base the rest of the evening off of. And then you have Rebe Rebecca Andrade, who had an insane night. She was in first for most of the evening, and her story is definitely one for the books. She competed in Rio and finished 11th overall in the individual all-around. And now here she was a few days ago. She won silver in the all-around. This was actually the first time that Brazil had placed in the individual competition. And so not only is she proving to herself that she can come back from three ACL tears and recoveries at 22 to win at an Olympic all-around individual final, but she also proved that like about Simone Biles all the time because I feel like a lot of people who know nothing about gymnastics just think about Simone Biles and Simone Biles is absolutely incredible, but there's so many other incredible names out there. And so as much as I hate that Simone wasn't able to compete, it was actually really amazing for these other gymnasts to get their chance to have their name and their story shared in ways that it normally wouldn't if they were competing against Simone. After their first rotation, which was vault, they moved on to bars, which is where Suni has her strong point. She has absolutely incredible bar work, and it was no different during the individual final. She scored a 15.3, which set her up in second place, and Rebecca Andrade held on to first. Her bar routine just as amazing. The third rotation for this group was Beam, and Beam always seems to get people at Olympic qualifying for the U.S., at qualifying the other night for the individual all-around, at the, at the actual all-around final. You know, it feels like it's like tilted or something because a lot there were a lot of falls. It almost looked like Suni was going to fall when she got onto the beam. She did a series of wolf turns, and she did wobble, but her toe stuck to that beam, and she stayed on. She did miss the next series of turns, but she still scored um, a 13.833, which was great. And it kind of looked like she was going to get silver in the all-around. Like I said, it was such a close race. Especially because um, after Suni got her score, Rebecca Andrange, she went and she was really underscored. She challenged her score. It was reviewed. And it did change, but I think she was still like two tenths below Suni. And so it was not enough for her to maintain her first place position. So after the third rotation, Suni took first, and it was I was getting really excited. But Suni is floor is not her area ex of expertise. Everyone has their strong event, and everyone has their weak event. And floor is definitely one of her weaker events. And she hadn't really practiced, but she managed to stay in bounds. Unlike some other gymnasts, um, Rebecca Andrade was stepped out twice on two passes so that didn't really help her trying to get back into that first place position and then Angelina Milnikova she is for the ROC she had a strong and clean performance that solidified her third place bronze and her and another ROC competitor Vlada had been bouncing back and forth throughout the night and so ultimately Vlada came in fourth Suni won the individual all-around gold. Rebecca came in second with silver, and Angelina won bronze. It was a tight competition the whole way through, and I'm just going to gush about Suni for a second because, one, how does she do what she does with her acrylic nails? She posted holding her gold medal after, and she got her nails done before she went to Tokyo. Nice white acrylics with, like, the rings on the three middle fingers, and they're cute, but with the insane bar stuff she does and her passes on floor... 
I, I don't know how she doesn't, like, break a nail or, like, use any, something like that. Like, it's crazy. Um, two, she has some of the best style, and I'm obsessed. Like, check out her Instagram. Her fits are excellent. But also, she seems like such a good, genuine person. Like, when she was looking up at that scoreboard and she saw she was winning, you could just tell that, like, it meant the world to her. I was watching at work, and I was, like, getting emotional because I... She is, she deserved it so much, and she, a lot of people doubted her and Jade since Simone wasn't competing, but they both showed up, and they both proved that, like, this next generation of gymnasts is going to be just as amazing as Simone Biles, if not more, because they all have spent, you know, their childhood doing gymnastics looking up to Simone. SUNY is also amazing representation because she's the first Asian-American woman to win gold at the Olympics, and she's also the first Hmong-American to even compete at the Olympics, which is her community back in Minnesota. And so her journey has just been amazing. She's representing so many different people. And to even be at the Olympics after what she went through prior to Worlds, where her dad had suffered an injury and he was in the hospital, and then she went to Worlds and she competed. And she came in second all around, and now here she is winning the individual all around gold at the Olympics. And so just her story and how much her family means to her and seeing her family's reaction live recorded on the side of the screen when she was winning, it was just such a beautiful story and I'm just so happy for her. The next few days we'll host the other individual events which we have medal potential in. SUNY has a good chance at gold and bars and could medal and beam as long as she cleans some things up like her wolf turns. Michaela Skinner will also be stepping in for Simone Biles on the vault final where she and Jade Carey will compete we will see what happens with Beam and Floor, but Michaela or Jade could slot into a place on either of those events, and it'll be super exciting to see if we can bring home any more gold medals. So now we will be talking about soccer, which I know is why most people are here, because, you know, it's a soccer podcast, and we're going to start by talking about the rest of the group stage games, just quickly going into what happened, so... Australia played the U.S., we tied, and both Australia, the U.S., and Sweden will move on to the next um, stage, which is the quarterfinals. And so Group G really proved to be one of the hardest groups because three out of the four teams moved on to the semifinals, and that's only because all the teams can't move on. So during the game against Australia, the U.S. really looked like they were playing keep away for 90 minutes. There was very little effort to score from them, and the defending was very lackluster. The only reason that we weren't scored on is because Tierna Davidson, who later won player of the match, was covering a lot of space. Alyssa Nair was solid in her goal as usual, and Australia had their own struggles um, with getting Sam Kerr the ball and locking up their defense because we did have one or two chances where we were able to kind of get farther but the balls kind of seemed to keep getting lost in the midfield one thing I think I mentioned last week was the lack of Chrissy Mewis but again in this game we saw her for maybe 10 minutes when they were just trying to run the clock down and keep things even so I'm really confused why Vlaco hasn't been playing her because she proved to be a strong competitor on the team and a really crucial part of the midfield and when our midfield has been really weak I don't know why she hasn't been getting minutes. Ultimately we are set to play the Netherlands in the knockout stages and Australia is playing Great Britain which we'll talk about in a few minutes I guess because those games already happened. 
And then the Netherlands beat China 8-2, to and that-, um, that game wasn't all that exciting, really. Just some more stat padding from the Netherlands. And then Canada and Great Britain tied, and both teams moved on. Stephanie LeBay was back in goal for Canada, which was great to see because she was out for two games um, after a tackle. I think it, I think something happened to her ribs or her chest, but she did clutch her chest once or twice during the game, so it's a little bit worrisome going forward to see how they will manage her time and if they'll play her or Kaylin Sheridan. The um, tie was a one-to-one draw, and we got an early Canada got an early goal from Adriana Leon, and then they were really strong and solid, and Great Britain actually looked really shaky throughout the game. The game only ended in a draw because Caroline Ware was able to score in the 85th minute, but it was deemed an own goal, um, but Great Britain did not have a huge performance for them, and so going into their knockout game, obviously they were looking for a win, having not just had a great game, but we'll see what happens there. So the quarterfinal matchups were Brazil versus Canada, Australia versus Great Britain, U.S. versus the Netherlands, and then Sweden versus Japan. So we're going to start by talking about the Australia-Great Britain game. And this game was super back and forth from the start of it. Alana Kennedy scored in the 35th minute. They kept that lead to the end of the half, but at the start of the second half, Ellen White scored to even it out. And then Ellen White scored again in the 66th minute, putting Great Britain ahead. And for, you know, the next 30 minutes, it kind of looked like it was going to stay that way. But in true Sam Kerr fashion, she scored in the 89th minute. Um, So she tied the game with one minute left. They went into extra time, which saw a missed penalty from Caroline Weir. And T and Micah was so solid in goal again. And we really need to talk about how almost overnight she became the starter in goal for Australia. She is amazing and can read the ball so well. She had an incredible career with UCLA. And now to see her dominating on the world stage is so exciting. And I really hope we keep seeing her play because obviously you want to have more youth goalkeepers to carry your team forward. And she is the perfect person for that for Australia. 13 minutes into extra time, Mary Fowler, who is only 18, scored for Australia, putting them ahead. Great Britain was seeking another goal, but Sam Kerr made that even harder when she scored a second at the 106th minute to put them up by two. Ellen White was able to score a hat-trick with a goal in the last minute of extra time. However, Australia had secured the win at that point, and they will now be playing Sweden in the semifinals tomorrow at 7 a.m., which will definitely be an intense game. Australia needs to really tighten their defense because they play really wide compared to Sweden, who play tight and compact. Australia also lacks consistency with scoring and bringing out the same result from the team, which Sweden does not have an issue with. Sweden plays the same pace and drive and have won all their games so far, while Australia has suffered a loss, which was to Sweden, and they also had a draw. So, you know, Australia can pull out the win if they keep Tegan in goal, I think, and lock up the little slip-through spots, and if they try to get Sam Kerr the ball more, I really think that she can convert, and they could win. It's not going to be an easy win for either team, but it's definitely possible. Next, we're going to talk about the Brazil versus Canada game, and this was basically the battle of legends, with this most likely being Marta and Christine Sinclair's last major tournament. The game was intense from start to finish. The possession was pretty evenly matched, and both teams received two yellow cards and had a very similar shot percentage. There were very few close shots for each team, but after a full 90 and two has of extra time, it did go to penalty kicks. The game was kind of uneventful, like, during regulation, 
Um, just because they were both pressing so hard that there wasn't a lot that came out of it because the midfields were able to like keep the balls away and stuff like that. But Christine Sinclair took the first penalty kick for Canada and she did miss um, her penalty kick and you could really just see the frustration on her face. I think that she ripped her jersey like collar. Um, and so then after that, Marta made her penalty kick and so Brazil had the upper hand, but Canada made the rest of theirs after Sinclair with Jesse Fleming, Ashley Lawrence, and Adriana Leone, and Vanessa Gillies easily converting theirs. After Marta's penalty, uh, Dabinia went and converted hers as well as Erica, but two saves from Stephanie LeBay um, with the other penalty kicks led to a Canada win. Personally, this game was super mixed emotions because I wanted to see Marta and Formiga win something in their last tournament. But then the same goes for Sinclair. I also had to look at it from a perspective of if the United States wins, who do we want to play? And honestly, the answer is neither team because they're both really solid and they both had great tournaments. And I also like players on both teams and don't want to see any of them sad. But obviously that happens in sports. Teams lose, things happen. But both teams really just poured their heart out on the field. And it was a really good game, even though it wasn't the most eventful. But... Canada now moves on to the semifinals, and they will be playing the winner of the Netherlands-US game. Sweden versus Japan was also a really good game. Magda Eriksson was back in the lineup for Sweden and scored their opening goal in the seventh minute. Sweden always kind of controls the game they play, and even when they lacked possession for a large majority of the game, they were still able to secure a win. Uh, Japan bounced back after Magda's goal um, with their own in the 23rd minute by Mina Tanaka, However, that was their only chance that Japan was able to convert. They did have a few other close opportunities, but nothing that they were able to really bring to fruition. Um, at the start of the second half, Sweden was able to convert another and then was awarded a penalty kick a few minutes later that they did convert. And so they easily won 3-1 to one and sent them off to the semifinals where they will play Australia. Sweden still has not lost a game. And so it'll be an interesting rematch. When they played Australia in the group stage, the final score was 4-2, to two, which proves that Australia can find points to score on Sweden, especially if Sweden has a few holes in their defense. But it's not going to be easy for either team, and they need to be prepared to fight back because obviously Sweden did win, which showed that Australia had holes in their defense, but Australia was able to convert against a team that was kind of dominating their group, so... They need to each work out some kinks going into this last game. Now, we're going to talk about the U.S.-Netherlands game. And I'm going to be honest, going into this game, I thought we were screwed. Especially considering how we had been playing against other teams in the group stage. There was not a lot to be confident in. And the lineup being released raised some more questions for me. To see Abby Dahlkemper back in the center back position when she had been having a poor tournament shocked me. Because this was obviously going to be a really intense game. And they were going to be sending a lot of numbers forward from the Netherlands to try to score and you need to have a solid center back and Abby has just not been that this tournament and so I got kind of worried especially when looking at the subs Tierness Davidson who has been doing amazing wasn't even dressed she was not listed as a sub for the game and so that was a bit more concerning because our only defensive sub was Emily Sonnet so our defense really needed to stay tight and compact or else we were going to be screwed. The midfield was still a little weak, but definitely more on top of things than they had been in the last few games, and Sam Mewis really seemed to 
snap out of whatever funk she was in because she was definitely playing more like the Sam Mewis that we all know and love. The Netherlands scored in the 18th minute with Vivian Miedema putting them up. The United States quickly retaliated with a header from Sam Mewis in the 28th minute and a goal from Lynn Williams in the 31st. Seeing Lynn start and then assist Sam's goal and convert her own goal was so amazing to see. She was originally listed as an alternate and so for her to go get this moment and to prove that she is there because she deserves it is something I love for her. The media often overlooks her as well as fans because she doesn't always convert in big moments but I feel like it's important to recognize that she always creates chances and that is just as important to scoring goals because you're not going to get those goals if you don't have someone feeding these balls and creating opportunities which she is so good at without Lynn in the game we would not have scored either of the goals that set up for extra time and penalty kicks and so after that the rest of the half kind of faded out and we went into the half up but at the start of the second half Viv scored again for the Netherlands and that tied us up and after that goal you could tell Blacko was like okay time to change things up he subbed in Kristen Press and Alex Morgan as well as Rose Lavelle and Rose had the game-winning goal against the Netherlands in the 2019 World Cup, so we were all hoping that something was going to come from that. Unfortunately, nothing did come from that. The game played out 2-2, to but there was a close shot for the Netherlands to take the lead when, in the 81st minute, Kelly O'Hara had a reckless tackle in the box and the Netherlands were awarded a penalty kick. Although Lissanayer saved it, and there was no doubt that like she wouldn't save it because she is really solid with those, It was stressful. It was not necessary for that tackle to happen, and I hope to see Kelly on the bench for the next game. I know it's a big game, and I know that she's a veteran player for our defense, but we don't need her, especially because she's on a yellow, and knowing that the next game will be more physical is not really worth the risk when she doesn't add much to this game. The only thing she really contributed to the Netherlands game was the penalty kick and a yellow card, and so I think that it might just be better to rest her in the off chance that we do make it to a gold medal match. The game went to penalty kicks, and Alyssa Nayer was able to save the Netherlands' first penalty from Vivian Miedema, and then Roosevelt took the first penalty kick for the U.S. and easily slotted it away. This next moment was very full circle for Kristen Press and Alex Morgan, who both missed theirs in 2016. They were able to convert their penalty kicks, and as a Kristen Press fan, it was absolutely incredible to see her do that. And just the pure excitement for everyone for her. And you could just see, like, the relief wash away that, like, they did it. And so, obviously, I'm glad that they made them because it helped us win. But Netherlands made their next two PKs, but Alyssa Nair saved the last one we saw from them because Megan Rapino was able to convert hers. And so, with the save from Alyssa, we secured the win in penalties. Media will post and say this one was because of Megan Rapino, but it wasn't. We all need to talk about Lynn Williams and the way her speed, vision, and work on the ball c- created chances and allowed us to notch two goals. Alyssa Nair also saved a penalty in the game as well as two in the shootout and was solid the entire time, even when her defense was in shambles. So we really need to praise them. So if you haven't praised them today, go and do that. It was a hard-fought win, but we now move on to the semifinals where we play Canada, which I am not too happy about. I love so many of the Canadian players, and after seeing how Steph LeBay was clutching her chest, we could see Kaylin Sheridan in goal, and as a Gotham fan, I'm not used to rooting against her. I'm always like, Kaylin clean sheet, but obviously if she's in goal, I don't want that for her. I want us to win, and so the game will be intense because it is sort of like a rivalry between the two teams, and honestly, at this point, both of them want it so bad that it can go in whoever's favor. 
but it'll for sure be a good matchup. That game is tomorrow at 4 a.m., but NBC will most likely replay it. The winner of the Sweden-Australia game and the winner of the Canada-US game will go on to the gold medal match and the losers will go on to the bronze medal match. So it'll definitely be exciting to see what the results of those are. Next, we're going to quickly talk about the other sports. Um, Obviously not all of them because we would be here for days if I did that, but just some of the fan favorites. And so we're going to start with swimming. Obviously, swimming is a fan favorite event. You know, I feel like everybody who watches the Olympics makes sure to watch swimming because it's exciting and there's a lot that goes on. So in the men's 50 freestyle, Caleb Dressel won gold and helps, and then he later helps secure the men's 4x100 medley gold win. And so those added up to be his fifth gold medal in Tokyo. In the men's 1500 meter freestyle, it looked like the United States was out of contention for a medal with Bobby Fink trailing on the last lap, but he somehow powered through and won gold and it was really exciting. My sister and I were watching and we were looking at the TV and we're like, oh, we're done. We're not going to score. I- score. Oh my gosh, I'm still on soccer. We were watching and we we're like, he's not going to do it. You know, he's not going to get gold. We're not going to medal. And then all of a sudden it said that he we won gold and Honestly, that was so exciting for him. In the women's 4x100 medley relay, the United States secured silver and Australia won gold while also setting an Olympic record for the relay, which was so exciting. Uh, And then, obviously, Katie Ledecky. Katie Ledecky is an icon. Katie Ledecky competed in the women's 1500 freestyle, which this was the first time it was seen at the Olympics, and she won gold, so that's another record for her to add to her books. She's also unbeaten in every 800-meter freestyle that she's competed in in the last 11 years. Ariane Titmus came in second for the 800-meter freestyle, and her time was closest to Katie Ledecky's 23rd time for the 800-meter I feel like that sounds kind of confusing, but basically Katie Ledecky holds like 23 different records for this, has broken her record 23 times, and Titmus was not even close to her number one record. So that's pretty amazing, but Ariane Titmus has had an incredible Olympics for Australia. Uh, She beat Ledecky in the 200 and 400 meter earlier in the week, and then won silver in the 800 meter, which was awesome. Now we're going to talk about track and field. Dinah Asher-Smith was someone who everyone was looking out for going into the Olympics. She hadn't lost a race all year, but she had to pull out of the 200 due to a hamstring tear, and this was major since she is the current 200 world champ and wanted to defend her title. She raced in the 100 with a torn hamstring and missed out on the final by .04 of a second, which is, like, insane to think about that. Like, they're all so fast, and you just miss out by, like, a hair. Um, but in the women's 100, Jamaica swept with Elaine Thompson winning gold, Shelly Ann Frazier winning silver, and Sharik Jackson winning bronze. And then in skateboarding, in the women's street final, gold and silver were won by 13-year-olds, which kind of makes me feel like I'm doing nothing with my life. But it it was crazy. I did watch it, and it was really exciting, even though I don't understand the scoring process. Um, Riza Lael of Brazil won silver, and Miji Nisha from Japan won gold which was really exciting for them, and after they made a TikTok, they were hugging, they were posting pictures together, and I feel like that really is just, like, the spirit of what sports is, like, just uplift and support each other, because even though you're competing against each other, like, at the end of the day, you're all going for the same thing, and you're all putting your work effort into, like, 
this sport and so you got to find the fun in it and I think that they are the prime example of that. Another 13 year old to look out for going into the rest of skateboarding is Sky Brown who represents Great Britain. She starts in a few days and it'll be really exciting to see what she can do because she is insane on a skateboard. Carissa Moore from Hawaii uh, competed in the women's shortboard gold medal match and won gold and became the first American woman to win gold for surfboarding in the Olympics and so that's a record that will stay with her forever and having surfboarding and skateboarding at the Olympics have been incredible additions. <music> Lastly, we're going to talk about the medal count so far. As of yesterday, the United States and China are tied with the most medals. Each nation has 46. However, China and Japan both have more gold medals. China has 21 and Japan has 17 in comparison to the U.S. who has 16 gold medals. The United States has one silver and 13 bronze to bring up their tally. Following them is the ROC with 37, Great Britain with 28, Australia with 27, and the list continues on. Italy has won 24 medals, but of the 24, only two are gold. Some medal you know, history is that San Mariano became the smallest country to win a medal, winning bronze in trap shooting. The Philippines won its first gold medal in nearly 100 years in weightlifting. Bermuda won its first ever gold medal at the Games. Canada has won 12 medals so far in the Games, and all 12 have been won by women, either individually or on a team. But the women of Canada are really dominating, and we need to give it up for them because Canada would barely be in medal contention if not for the women. I think that since last night, there have been some more medals won, but U.S. and China are really neck and neck with who is going to come out with the most medals this Olympics. Thank you all for listening to this week's longer episode of Mickey Mike's Up. Sorry if it's so long, guys. There was a lot to talk about. The next few episodes, I will be having some guests on to talk about some things sports and some things college. Next week will be my first guest, and she is so cool, guys. Like, literally one of the coolest people that I have had the honor of talking to. I don't want to give too much away because I do like the element of suspense, but she works for a sports team and is part of their media team, and I'm so glad that she will be joining me to talk about what that is like and just all things in her world of sports. I also have 75 followers, so shout out to the 75 of you who have followed and listen on a weekly basis. It really does mean the world to me. When I get to 100 followers, I will probably be doing a giveaway or some of some sorts on my Twitter, so be on the lookout for that soon because I really am hoping to reach that goal within the next few weeks. Um, that's really it. So thank you all for listening. Remember to follow on Instagram and Twitter, Mickey.Alfano or Mickey underscore Alfano. And I will see you all next week on Mickey Mice Up. Thank you for listening. Oh.